speaks to me. Johnny, um, I'll pray, and then we'll get into it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for everything you've done for us. Um, I thank you for, again, bringing us here safely. Lord, I pray that you would have your way and what is done here today. Um, speak through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1. We continue our study through the Gospel of Luke. We're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to read kind of a long passage this morning, so be patient with me. We're going to read verses uh, 5 through 25. There was in the days of Herod, the king of the Jews, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was a daughter of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all of the ways and all of the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. And they had no child because that Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well stricken in years. First of all, that's kind of an odd phrase, well stricken in years. I've heard I've heard of like the ugly stick, people get beat with the ugly stick. But the old age stick, that's a new one on me. They were both well stricken in years. They're both old. Um, some of you got offended by me calling them old. It's there, didn't you? Some people get old. Some of you guys are old. You just need to get over it. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God and the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, that he was to burn incest when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. When there were appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not. Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many people shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be a great, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall turn unto the Lord their God. And it, and it shall be before him, and he shall go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the dis disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. We'll stop there. So, before we get started, I, I want us to, to note the historical context. It says, there was in the days of Herod, king of Judea. Now, when modern people read the Bible, they find it hard to believe. Um, why? Because in the pages of the Bible, we, we read about things like angels and demons and miracles. And we are taught from a young age that all of that is impossible. Now, the result of this indoctrination is that people today do not believe the Bible. We think that because it contains stories 
about things that cannot be proven with the scientific method, there is no use for it in our lives. Um, science has become somewhat of a religion in our day. Now, and because of this, we see people who take things like miracles and the supernatural series, we see them as backward in ignorance. So when we come to a document like the Gospel of Luke, we don't see it like a historical document. We see it as a fairy tale. He begins by letting us know. Now, Luke begins by letting us know that he's writing in a historical setting, right? He's talking about historical people. He begins by saying what he's about to say took place in the time of Herod. Like in Luke, we don't see a fairy tale, right? Right. There is no once upon a time. Instead, what we hear is historical fact after historical fact after historical fact. Now, it is important for us to understand the historical context because if we do not know the context, as Brother JP will, will say, often say, we will be conned by the text, right? Now, who is Herod? Herod um, was um, somebody that the, the Roman Empire put in charge of Palestine. Um, he wasn't an actual Jew. He was called Herod, king of the Jews, but he wasn't an actual Jew. He was actually from uh, he was actually an Edomite. Um, and so what, what Luke is doing here is he's letting you know the date and the time with which what he was writing um, took place. Um, if, if somebody were writing about you 100 years from now, they might say something like this. There was, in the days of Donald Trump, president of the United States, a certain teenager named Abby Holden, right? And then it might go on to talk about all of the great things that Abby did for God, right? Um, it's, it's letting you know that Luke is letting us know right off the bat that he's talking about real people. Um, Zacharias and Elizabeth existed. Zacharias and Elizabeth lived at a particular point in history. Herod lived at a particular point in history. Um, Herod was, again, he wasn't a Jew. He was an Edomite. Um, the Jewish people hated him. Uh, also, apparently, Herod was quite fond of murder. Um, at one point, he had his wife killed, her grandfather, her mother, her brother, the two sons that he had with her killed. He also had an oldest son from a previous marriage killed. Um, he, was, he was so bad, I, I remember reading at one point, that he had like a, a pool in his house and people who he was having trouble with, he would invite over to kind of hash things out and they would end up drowning in his pool. It's funny how that works, right? Um, so needless to say, the time in which Elizabeth and Zacharias lived in was, was a dark time, right? Um, the people who was over them, the, the rulers of their, of their government, were corrupt, right? They were corrupt and evil. I don't know if any of, any of you relate. I don't know if uh, any of you live in a society where the rulers are corrupt and unjust. Right? I don't know if any of you can relate. Um, I think if we were to use two words to describe the time which Elizabeth and Zacharias lived in, we would describe them as dark, right? We would describe them as silent. Well, I say dark because the people of God were ruled by rule, ruled by Rome, which was a pagan society 
infested with idolatry and every evil depravity, right? It was silent because it had been 400 years since God had sent his people a prophet. Um, now, this isn't to say that God was not at work in the earth, right? God is always at work, right? He's always um, executing his plan, which began before the foundation of the earth. However, he had not sent a prophet to his people in over 400 years, right? That's 142,000 days. That's 30 million, 24,600 hours. That's 200 million, 448,000 minutes. That's a long, long time, right? God has not spoken to his people for 400 years. So they haven't heard from God. What are they waiting on? They're waiting for the promised Messiah. The people were God. We're waiting for God to come through on the promises he's made to their fathers, right? Um, they had been waiting for century, right? It is in this dark and gloomy time that Zacharias and Elizabeth lived. Now, before we, we move on, I want us to note three things about this couple. Number one, um, they were nothing special. Number two, um, people probably look down on them. And number three, they remain faithful to God. It says in verse five, it says, there was in the days of Herod, king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the course of Abiah, and his wife was of the daughter of Aaron. He wasn't the high priest. He was just a priest. Um, he had a probably a local church where he was the pastor, right? Um, it wasn't a big church. He was from a small town. Um, he wasn't um, a pastor of a mega church. He was just an ordinary guy. Um, during um, the reign of David, um, there were too many priests for all the work that was in the temple. So what they did is they, they broke them up into 24 groups. And each group served their time um, twice a year for a week. And each group... Um, only had a week to serve God. There was probably about 24,000 priests in Judea at that time in the nation of Israel, and he was just one of them. He was nothing special. Um, but they were also looked down upon. The Bible says in verse 7, it says, and they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well stricken in years. In those days, if you were an older person and you didn't and you weren't married and you didn't have a child, you were considered weird. Most people got married at a very young age and they had kids. And if you didn't have kids, that was considered a curse from God. And if you weren't married, that was considered a curse from God. I remember um, one of the more interesting time of teaching kids, um, it was years ago, um, Doug Harrington was teaching, I guess, the, the junior high boys. Um, I go to, he was out of town one week and so I, took his spot teaching. I was talking to one of the teenage boys and he was asking me about my life and it happened to be Jake Schumann. Um, he was asking me about my life. He goes, how old are you? I was I'm 24. He goes, and you're not married yet? And you're not married yet? He goes, by the time my, my parents were your age, like they had, they were already married, they had kids. And I'm like, I go, I'm sorry, I don't live my life fast and loose like your parents do. All right. Um, I just thought of that today when I saw you. Um, I just happened to go along with what we were talking about today. Um, 
if you didn't have a child and you were an older couple, that was seen as a curse. Um, when, when Elizabeth had the child, he, she said, the Lord has removed my reproach. They probably lived in a small town. And I don't know about you, like I, I'm from a small town, from a small church. Everybody always knows everybody's business in a small town. Have you guys noticed that? Do, do you think people may have wondered aloud why they didn't have a kid? Do you think there weren't times where they walked into the room and all of a sudden there was a hush? And they probably thought, well, what were they talking about? Well, they were probably talking about them. The, the top, they were probably a topic amongst all of their relatives and their close associates. What sin do you think they committed to where God would curse them right, and, and not give them a child? However, they remained faithful to God. Verse 6, but they were both righteous before God, walking in all of the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. Now, this is not to say that they were perfect or without sin, right? Um, Luke is indicating their childlessness was not due to sin in their life, right? He's saying these people did nothing wrong. They were both righteous before God. Now, notice it says that they were righteous before God. Some of us were righteous before the people at church, right? Um, on the way to church, we're arguing with our wife, we're arguing with our kids, we're screaming, we're threatening, I'm going to turn this car around. We pull up into the parking lot and all of a sudden a smile comes across your face. You say, praise the Lord. Happy Lord's Day. It's good to be here. How are you doing? I'm blessed by the best, right? Some of us are, are, are righteous around our friends, right? But they were righteous before God. The point that Luke is making is their private life was the same as their public life. Their public life was the same as their private life. In other words, who they were at church was who they were. Some of us have split personalities, right? Where... Um, where we're like, oh, that doesn't bother me. But when we get home, it, like the things come out. We yell and scream at our loved ones. They didn't care what people thought of them. They cared about what God thought. This is what set them apart. They did not allow their bitter disappointment of not having a child to derail their service for God. They were righteous before God. How many of you have been disappointed and it knocked you out of your race for a little bit? Most of us have been there, but they didn't allow the disappointment of God not giving them their dreams to keep them from serving God. Now, needless to say, the days of Herod were not the best of days for the Jewish people, right? However, Zacharias, whose name means Jehovah remembers, and Elizabeth, whose name means God is an oath, remained faithful. Now, the reason I'm talking, taking all this time to lay out the historical context is because we need to remember 
that our generation is not the first generation to go through hard times. You see, we as humans have a tendency to make everything about us, right? We have a tendency to think that the universe popped into existence when we were born, right? The people of God, with the aid of his providence, have been overcoming hard times for thousands of years. Yes, this is not our country's best days, and maybe our best days are behind us, but I think we have some encouragement in this text, right? Today, I want to point to two things. I want to point to, number one, God always remembers his promises. Number two, God always keeps his promises, right? Now, we, we noted earlier that the meaning of Zacharias' name means Jehovah remembered, right? And the meaning of Elizabeth's name is God is an oath. When we put those two names together, what do we get? What do we get? We, we get Jehovah remembers his oath. Jehovah remembers his oath. Now, has someone ever promised you something? And then you had to remind them? They're taking longer than expected to come through, and you're like, hey, 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 remember that thing that we said we were going to do? Can you do that? We don't have to do that with God. He always remembers. He always remembers. The Jewish people had been waiting for 400 years. Zacharias and Elizabeth had been waiting their whole lives. For what? For God to keep his promise. It would have been easy for them to look at the circumstances and just quit, right? And there are some of us who, having looked at the state of the world that we are in right now, there are some of us who are tempted to be discouraged because it seems as if God has forgotten his promise. We've been waiting for decades for God to do something in our country. And it seems as if all is lost. But I'm here to encourage you today that God doesn't forget. God doesn't forget, right? He doesn't, he doesn't leave us to our own devices. He gives us encouragement. Notice Isaiah chapter 49, verse 14. It says this, But Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Now, there are times in all of our lives where Satan will come to us, and he will tell us that we are useless, right? And that God hasn't kept his promises, and that God has forsaken us, right? And then what do we do? We exclaim, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But notice God's response in verses 15 and 16 of Isaiah 49. He says this, can a woman forget her sucking child that she should not have compassion on her son? Yea, they may forget, yet I will not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. So the, the point that he's making is, you know, there, there are some times where our parents aren't the best of parents. 
right? And they abuse us through neglect, right? However, God is not like that. He always remembers. In fact, he says that God has graven our names on his hands. He's graven our names on his heart. The last phrase, the last phrase of verse 16 says this. He says, thy walls are continually before me. In other words, God had consistent, sacred regard for his people in the midst of all of their distresses and all of their trials. He remembered them. God never forgets. You feel like God has forgotten you? I'm here to encourage you, he hasn't. Not only does God never forget, God always keeps his promises. Let's look at verses 8 and 9. It says, And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God um, in the order of his course, according to that custom of the priest, his lot was burnt to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now, before we go any further, I want to, I want to briefly note that, again, there were, there were thousands and thousands of priests. And there were more priests than there was work at the temple. So what they would do is they would draw lots for the important jobs of the temple. Um, uh, Isaiah's lot came up and he got to burn incense in the temple. This would have been a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Zacharias had probably thought to himself, I'm never going to be able to do anything important. I'm never going to do anything of any significance, right? But then what happens? His lot comes and he gets, to, he gets to have a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Notice verses 10 and 13. It says, The whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense, and there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. Now, this is a common response when anybody sees an angel in the Bible. When you read about somebody interacting with angels, there always there is always fear present. Now, the reason why I mention that we we picture angels as like the little babies with the wings, with the diapers, and they're a little chubby. That's not that's not what angels are, right? Angels are something to be afraid of, right? Because they're God's messengers, right? There's there's something to respect. There's something to be in awe of, right? So what does the angel say? The angel says, do not be afraid. He says, fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer has been heard. Now, what prayer is he talking about? Some people think that the prayer that the angel is talking about is their prayer for a child. Now, I don't think that's what um, Zacharias was praying for, because notice his response when the angel says, you're going to have a child. He says, well, no, we're old. We're we're well stricken in years, right? I think that Zacharias is praying for the redemption of his people. He's praying for the return of the Messiah. He's praying, he's praying for God to send the Messiah to vanquish the people of God's enemies, to vanquish um, Satan, right? And so the angel comes to him and says, you know what? Your prayer is answered. The Messiah is on his way. Right? He didn't expect, however, that God would 
accomplish his plan in the way that God did, right? How did God accomplish his plan? Well, the first part of the plan was that John the Baptist was born, right? In order to do what? To prepare the way for the Messiah. Notice verses 14 through 17, it says, And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither strong drink, and shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall turn to the Lord their God, and he shall go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of their fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make, the, to make ready the people of God. What's he saying? This is in reference to Old Testament prophecy, right? In other words, God had promised someone, he had promised to send someone in the spirit and the power of Elijah to prepare the way of the Messiah. So the angel is saying, your prayers have been answered, Zechariah, the Messiah is on the way. Right? The angel is making reference to Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Let's read that. It says, Behold, I will send to you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of their children to the of the father to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I shall come and smite thee with a curse. He's saying, Your prayers have been answered. Messiah is on the way. I want you to think about our situation right now. I want to, and I want to draw some parallels between Zacharias and Elizabeth and us. What were they waiting for? Well, they were waiting for the first coming of Jesus, weren't they? God had been promising that for thousands of years, hadn't he? He had been promising that for thousands of years. He's been promising that in the days of Abraham. He says, in your seed, all of the nations of the world will be blessed. What is that? That's a promise that the Messiah is coming. He's been promising it to uh, the children of Israel in Exodus, right? And throughout the Old Testament, he's been making that promise for thousands of years. The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. The people of God have been waiting waiting and waiting and waiting. And, and this stretch for the past 400 years has been more difficult than any other stretch because God had not given them instruction for 400 years. I would imagine that some of the people who were Jews, um, it's like it's been 400 years. God hasn't sent anybody. It's not going to happen. I imagine there, there were probably scoffers, right? Why hasn't God sent anyone? Oh, you believe in God? You believe in Jehovah? What has he done for us? We're under the oppressive thumb of Rome. Does, does that feel familiar? It's been 2,000 years. Right? We've been waiting for Jesus to come for 2,000 years. And right day, right right now, this present day, this present time, what do we, we hear scoffers, don't we? 
It's been 2,000 years. He hasn't come yet. He's not coming. We need to remember that God always keeps his promises. Some people say that God doesn't have a rich watch, a wrist watch. Now, first of all, how do you know that he doesn't have a wrist watch? Have you seen him lately? Right? Have you seen him? He could have a wristwatch. I don't know. The Bible says he owns all the things, right? And, and a wristwatch is a thing, so he does have a wristwatch, right? Does it make sense? I wish people would stop saying things that don't, that don't make any sense. Um, now, what they mean by that is God doesn't pay attention to timing. I feel like that's not true. He does pay attention to time. He knows the exact time to do anything. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. That phrase, in the fullness of time, is talking about God sent Jesus the first time at the exact perfect time in history. The world was largely at peace. Rome had built an infrastructure where people could travel easily from place to place all over the face of the world. It was the exact perfect time for the Messiah to come and for the most people to hear about him. So the point, the point I'm making is this waiting thing is nothing new for the people of God. God took care of the nation of Israel. He'll take care of you. Right? He says that he's going to send someone. He says, I'm going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, John is not literally Elijah, right? The Bible doesn't teach reincarnation. Rather, John is, what, it, what he's saying is, John represents the spirit and power of Elijah, which was prophesied in Malachi. Now, in the writings of Luke, there's always a close connection between power and the Spirit. When power is talked about, it's usually assumed that it is the result of the Spirit's empowering. In other words, John the Baptist was coming to prepare the people's hearts and to prepare the people's minds for the advent of the Messiah. He's coming with great power. Now, the point I want to make today is God's promises can be relied on. How do we know? We know because of the Bible. We know because of the Bible. The God over and over again predicts history in the Bible. God over and over again prophesies things in the Bible. And when we read when we read about the life of Jesus and we see all of the things we're told about Jesus in the Old Testament and how they come, how they become exactly true in the New Testament, exactly the way that God had promised, exactly the way that God had predicted, we can take that information and we can use it to encourage us today. Because God has made us promises, hasn't he? What does he promise? He's promised us eternal life, right? When we think of the gospel, we only think about the eternal life part. We only think about the fact that 
he saved us from our sins. But part of the gospel message is that Jesus is coming back to set all things right. How can I rely on that? I can rely on that because, well, it has a proven track record. How many of you know someone who, by their track record, you can't trust as far as you can throw them? Like, were, were they promised to do something? You're like, yeah, okay. They mean well, but obviously I'm not going to rely on them. But, but, but here's the thing. God is not like your unreliable relative. God can always be reliable. God always keeps his promise. Now question, what promise in scripture are you doubting? What promise in scripture are you doubting? Yes, there are times that are dark. Yes, these present days are dark. However, we have the promise of salvation, which is not just about the promise that we are saved from our sins. It includes with it the promise that Jesus is coming back. Now, we may not be able to understand all of these prophecies that surround the second coming of Jesus, right? But we can rest assured that Jesus is coming God says over and over again, am I a man that I should lie? God doesn't lie. God doesn't break his promises. And even though your life right now, maybe it may seem like it's an utter chaos, right? We have the promises of the Bible to hold on to that are reliable. Just like Zacharias, just like Elizabeth. How do we strengthen our faith in the promises of God? How do we do that? Well, we pray for it, don't we? Don't we? God, help my unbelief. How do we do that? Well, we come here, right? And and like and guys like me, we open up the Bible and we share with you what the Scripture says concerning salvation and concerning the next life, don't we? And what do I do? I encourage you every week to trust God. And every week I encourage you through God's word to trust God. Our problem as modern day Christians is we simply do not believe the Bible. We think that our time, well, nobody's ever seen anything like this before. Really, there's never been sickness that swept through um, the world and killed bunch of people that's never happened before it's happened a lot in history oh you don't understand the leaders of our nation they're all jerks and terrible people really politicians times past weren't jerks and terrible people do you not read history books our time is not God always keeps his promises. So let's be encouraged. I'll pray. Stand up and we'll have
Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for everything you've done for us. I thank you for bringing us off safely again. And Lord, I pray that you help us all to trust in the fact that you haven't forgotten us. Help us to trust in your promises. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord has spoken to your heart. Please come. Thank you.